0: Welcome to the Cap City Church podcast. This is the recording of our Sunday message. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged as you listen to this. Enjoy. Let me pray, and we'll uh, we'll jump in. If you've got a Bible, uh, you can find your way to two Corinthians four uh, whilst I pray, and that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Father God, I thank you uh, for your love for us, and I'm aware of the reminders. Uh, as we've sung, uh, that God, despite the challenges of life, that God, despite the things that we come up against, despite seasons of, of real pain and real difficulty, God, your, your promises are steadfast. God, your faithfulness endures. And Lord, as we, as we pray and reflect and, and spend time in Scripture this morning, I, I ask that the, that the understanding of our hearts, God, would be, would be of your faithfulness to us. God, your, your, your deep-rooted goodness towards us. Holy Spirit, I pray you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you, that, God, you would speak to us in our, in our specific situations, for some of us, God, even into our current challenges, that, God, you would bring your truth, God, you would bring your challenge, but, Lord, you would bring your comfort. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, And I'm going to read verses 7 to 10. I'll jump in there straight away. Uh, The Apostle Paul, right into the church in Corinth, says this. He says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And for those of you who are a, a part of, uh, of, of Cap City family, you'll understand that this has been a challenging week for many. Um, that those of you who are involved or understand the situation, obviously your prayers are, are hugely appreciated at this, this particular time. But this passage... It acknowledges that challenge. And I think sometimes it's important for us as as Christians, we can be very eager to kind of get to the good stuff and not sit sometimes in those moments of of pain or of difficulty or of tension. And the Apostle Paul, he recognizes and, and looks to bring direction and purpose to that, but I think he acknowledges the truth that sometimes life is difficult. Sometimes life is overwhelmingly difficult. And the truth is that when life is, is tough, and, and not, just, not just difficult, but when life is just hard, and it's, it's hard to know what on earth is going on, and, and as Paul describes here, when we are hard-pressed, when there's just something in life that just will not move, that it won't shift, that you're going through a season and it feels like nothing is shifting, that you're crying out to God to make things different, and nothing is happening talks about being perplexed when we simply don't have the answers. And I think one of the most important things for us as followers of Jesus is recognizing sometimes we just cannot answer the challenges and the confusion, that sometimes there is just overwhelming pain in life, and this side of eternity, we cannot bring an answer into that situation. That we can bring God's truth, we can bring insight, we can bring hope and encouragement, but sometimes we just won't understand what is going on talks about being persecuted. When there are moments in life when there are just people out there who are just not on your side, whether they are making things difficult intentionally or unintentionally, or they are actively opposing you. Or when we feel struck down, when we feel it's, it's, it's all too late, it's all gone wrong, everything has now fallen apart. And at these times we are left asking the questions, what on earth is it all for? How does it help to be a follower of Jesus in these difficult times? What good does our faith make when life is hard? Have you you ever felt that way? Because I've certainly been there many, many times. We can be quick to question God's goodness or even blame him for not helping us. But church, it's important for us to listen. The promise that God has given us is not that life will never be tough. We are are never given that promise. And I think some of us wish that that was part of the deal, that you you follow Jesus, that you sign up uh, to a life of faith and everything is better as a result. And sometimes we wish that was the case, but the truth is we are never promised that. That the world is filled with pain and tragedy and struggle. And this should not be a surprise, but sometimes we are so insulated from these things that we forget or even choose to ignore them. But the focus is not that that if we follow Jesus, life will become heaven. Despite sometimes thinking that that is the arrangement. But the truth is that as we follow Jesus, we become part of bringing heaven down to earth. And that ultimately that doesn't happen through ease and comfort. That happens through the example of Jesus with sacrifice and often with tears and pain. That we enjoy the presence of God in our heart now. And that is a preparation for an eternity in His presence. But the promise that we do have is that God will never leave us or abandon us. The promise is that no matter how bad life gets, and there will be time when when it does get that bad, that God is with us. That he has put his spirit in our hearts. This is a down payment, an assurance, an appetizer, as it were, for the good things that he has in store for us. And so my first point is this, just in case you need reminding, life is fragile. We are weak and the world is tough. I've got four uh, relatively young children, and a common occurrence at home is things getting smashed. Anyone, anyone kind of relate to this? Some of you have clumsy housemates, and uh, I don't know why I'm looking at you, Abby. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying that you are a clumsy housemate or if you have a clumsy housemate. But uh, it's, it's, uh, it's almost a daily occurrence at the moment. We're a couple of weeks into half-term. Uh, energy levels in my children are high. Patient levels in the parents are low. And as a result, there are are circumstances when things, in fact, my daughter did it yesterday. Uh, It wasn't an accident. She just went poof, and a glass was then all over the floor. And so we've got this regular occurrence of just kind of, you know, there's freeze, everybody panic, nobody, well, not, not everybody panic, nobody move. Everybody stay still as we try and pick up these, you know, these bits of whether it's glass or pottery, whatever is smashed and shattered all over the floor. And uh, the number of odd bowls and plates, and just there's nothing that matches in my house anymore as a result. You kind of cobble everything together out of what is left. And the reality is sometimes, sometimes it cracks but doesn't shatter. You know, sometimes you end up with something that has got just like that hairline crack through it, or, or a chip, or, or is broken in a small way. And Paul uses this illustration of, of treasures in jars of clay. That these, these vessels that are prone to, to cracks and chips and, and shattering. And he uses this picture about keeping valuables in these clay jars, hidden away, something of value, hidden away in something ordinary and commonplace, something that people wouldn't naturally think to go investigating in. Here's a great story of when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in, in 1946. They were found because a young shepherd boy was throwing stones into caves and heard this smash. Uh, and this led then to the discovery of these incredible, this incredible wealth of ancient biblical texts. But Paul is looking to make this point clear. We are, we are all in the same boat. We live in a world that is marred by sin. We live in a world that, that isn't as God intended it to be. And we see the impact of this. We feel the impact of this. That sense of the life, life is precious but brief and the world can be cruel. That we're just breakable pottery. But what is astounding is what, what the Apostle Paul says about these jars. He says that God delights to put his treasure in broken, ordinary people. And what I find so encouraging about the Christian message is it, is it not only takes uh, the pain of the world at face value, it doesn't try and diminish it, it doesn't brush it away, it doesn't say it's not really that bad, come on, you can get through this, it'll be all right. It acknowledges and it embraces the fullness of the pain of the world, but the difference is it approaches it with hope. God delights to put his treasure in broken, ordinary people. In work, we've got this, this big, chunky metal safe. Uh, it's this impossible to move thing. It, is, it's just, it weighs an absolute ton. It is bomb-proof. It is fire-proof. It is uh, sledgehammer-proof. It's just this huge, heavy-set metal item. And this is where we keep the valuables, right? This is where we keep the stuff locked away, behind a, uh, another locked door with a combination code on it that's only known to a few people. This is where the valuable stuff is kept. And at home, we've got a similar setup, not quite as bomb-proof, uh, I'll be honest. But, you know, we've got a, a little filing cabinet that is locked. That's where all the important documents are kept. And we've got, uh, you know, another box upstairs where well, our precious personal items and memories. All these things are going to be kept together. And, and all these important things, the things that matter to us, are held together there. And yet Paul, in this letter, writing to this church, and, and to know the context, Paul is writing to a difficult group of people that the church in Corinth was a church that he planted and seemed to have nothing but problems with. They were kind of the typical problem child within Paul's life, constantly challenging him, constantly going off in the wrong direction, constantly misunderstanding what they should be doing. And he says to this church, God keeps his treasure in you. He says, the hope of the gospel, the power of God at work in the world. is not, not kind of um, bound up in some temple somewhere or, or locked away in some kind of shrine. He says the power of the treasure of God and the treasure that he's talking about here is, is the light of the gospel, is the truth of God, the transforming truth of God in this world is locked up in the hearts of people that follow him. And, and I don't know about you, but I find that truth massively revelational. The the, the idea that that whilst the Bible embraces and understands the fact that we are rubbish at times, that we, we get things wrong, we make mistakes, we make stupid, stupid choices, if you're like me, on a daily basis, and yet what God says, this is where I've chosen to place my hope, to place this treasure. That God's plan and purpose is to do amazing things with ordinary people. And this is good news. It, it, it may sound ridiculous, but actually, I think there's such, there's, there's an inherent logic and purpose behind this. Is part of the purpose is to reflect and reveal the glory of God. And you think, well, is that a bit indulgent of God? Is kind of God just looking for the spotlight to be all on Him? But this is a good thing. Because the truth is, is, God says, your ability to achieve incredible things in the world is not rooted in you. And, and for me, I'm, I think that's, that is great news. Because if, if everything depended on me, we would be in trouble. If, if my future success, if my impact in the world, if my ability to follow God and to make a difference and to love and serve the people around me is reliant on me, then to be honest, and I'm, I'm quite happy and, and free to admit this, is my levels of patience and generosity to those around me is often directly proportionate to the amount of caffeine in my system. So if it all depends on me, it's, it's like, well, we, we've got no hope. I've got no hope because I know I can only be so good. Like I used to think I was a really patient, loving, compassionate individual. Then I had children and then I realized that was all just lies. <laughs> Part of the gospel is recognizing that, the, that we, are, we are just these jars of clay. You know, we, we might think we look great on the outside. We might be patterned. We might be intricate. There might be detail and design that has gone into us. But ultimately, we're fragile We're breakable. Many of us who've been through the mill, we're chipped and cracked already. And yet God says, in spite of this, and and actually sometimes as a result and because of this, He chooses to place His treasure in us. So that when God does incredible things, and church we, we have seen God do incredible things. We believe God for incredible things. But when God does those things, we don't say, it's because I'm so amazing. I worked really hard and I made an effort and I tried my best and I brought my A game. It's none of these things. It's because God is at work through me that anything incredible, anything good, anything of true value is happening. God's goodness at work in us. And friends, this is this is how I read the Bible. Is going way, way back right to the Old Testament. When you look at the stories of, of kind of great individuals of faith, those kind of typical Sunday school stories that we get. And you get Abraham, who's a guy who God didn't start working on until he was in his 80s. You get this message, well, God, God's not even beginning with this guy until he's already winding things down. Because God was about to do something incredible. And he's like, well, you're not going to get the credit for this. You know, you're already thinking about your retirement plans. You're winding down in life. God says, I'm going to start something amazing. So that the world will see it's not about how great Abraham is, but it's about how faithful God is. The story of Moses is another great example. Here's a guy born into privilege and prestige, had everything at his fingers, all the resources of the most powerful empire uh, in his hands. And yet, through decisions, through choices, through stuff that goes on, he finds himself living in the desert as a shepherd. Spending the latter half of his life wondering where it all went wrong. And this is where God steps in and speaks to him. I love the story of Gideon. Gideon's a great one. Here's a guy that God calls a great and mighty warrior, calls him to lead an army. And the moment in which he speaks that truth to him, he is literally hiding. He says he's threshing wheat in a wine press. He's hiding out of view so no one can see what he's doing because he's terrified that someone's going to turn up and steal his wheat. This wasn't a guy with any kind of bravery or inherent charisma or leadership. And this is the man that God chooses to lead his people. The story we see throughout the Bible is that God loves to choose the insignificant things, the unimportant things, to invest His goodness and grace and love into. And the problem is is when, when Christianity has understood this, when this has been at the heart of the church, the church has done incredible things. It can serve the, the, the poorest of people. It can love the most unloveliest of people. It can travel the world. And yet the problem is when the church gets this wrong, it is, it is ugly, and it is brutal, and it is authoritarian. And yet the heart of God is to choose the simple things, the weak things, the insignificant things, the things that the world looks at and says, well, that just doesn't matter. And these are the things that God loves to invest. I think this is the story of our own church in many respects. We're here as a fellowship celebrating 10 years because a random family of Americans thought that Wales was where God was calling them to, that they traveled the Atlantic to start a church in in Wales of all places. Maybe even more bizarrely, they trusted that church with a bunch of 20-year-olds who, quite frankly, didn't have a clue what they were doing. And yet that small church has built a community, built a family that has an impact far beyond its ability. One of the things we love to talk about here is, is what God does through this church. We've just had an amazing week with Starfish Kids Camp. We had 38 children from the uh, kind of the social services and foster care system where we were just able to, to demonstrate the love of God, to spoil them, to celebrate them, to value them. And like... You know, we, we had more kids in that week from, from very challenging, very difficult, very heartbreaking scenarios. We had more kids there than we have people in church most Sundays. What, how incredible is that? that? That God uses us in our simplicity, in our smallness, in our weakness to do incredible things. And this is because the power of God is made perfect in weakness. In this very same letter, this, this same address that Paul has given to this church, he makes this point. He makes it abundantly clear. In fact, within the letter itself, uh, Paul is discussing this point with the, the, with the Corinthian church. Paul is going through a really difficult time with these guys. If you read 1 Corinthians, he's just dealing with an absolute mess of a group of people. right? Just just imagine how bad a church can be. That is the church uh, that Paul is speaking to in 1 Corinthians. But through through his impact, through his ministry, he visits, he writes, he he gets alongside this church and starts to steer them back on the right course. And yet 2 Corinthians is a, is a, a later letter that he writes to this same family, just trying to encourage them, trying to support them. But the problems that he's now facing is there's a contingent within the church that are challenging his authority. That look at the, the meekness and the humility of this man, his poverty. This is a guy who, who kind of wandered around the world, preaching the gospel, had no real means, had no financial backing. He, you know, he did odd jobs of kind of fixing tents. He was a tent maker by profession, uh, and, and so had some skills in order just to kind of pay his way. But people looked at him and said, this guy is not the leader we signed up for. This guy isn't important, he's not significant. And they were challenging and questioning his, his status as an apostle, as a messenger of Jesus. And Paul says, No way. He says, To be a follower of Jesus is not to have everything line up and go the way you want. It's not to be filled with significance and prestige and wealth and honor. He says, Jesus himself was subject to challenge, difficulty, opposition, poverty, and ultimately death. He says, To follow him means to walk in weakness. He describes a situation in the same letter in 2 Corinthians 12 of, of, of a thorn in the flesh. And he uses this image to discuss this persistent challenge or difficulty that's going on in his life. And he says he prays that God would take it away. He says, God, just, just shift this situation, move on. And there's, there's all sorts of speculation about what it was. Nobody knows for sure. But he says in 2 Corinthians 12:9, he says, but he said, that is God. God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I said, my grace is enough. That God sees Paul's situation. He recognizes the challenge of what he's going through. And he says, my power is made perfect in weakness. When we ask God to do something, how often is that the response that we're looking for? We say, God, I need your help on this. God, I need you to change this this situation. I need you to heal this this issue. God, I need you to work. And, And what if God is saying, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's response is the right one. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. He says to this church, you think I'm unimportant? You think I'm poor? You think I'm lacking honor and prestige? He says, I will boast in those things because God is doing amazing things despite my circumstance. Despite what the world sees, God is at work. He says, I will boast about my weakness that Christ's power may rest on me. That's a tough message to embrace. That trust and faith carry great value with God. And that shouldn't surprise us that much. It's the same in all relationships. if If you ask somebody for their trust... They're kind of putting themselves on the line, they put themselves in your hand. And the idea is that the deeper and the more meaningful the relationship, the bigger the opportunity to ask for that trust. So, when I ask my my small children to jump off something high and I promise that I will catch them, they're not sitting there thinking, hmm, let's tally up the number of times that Daddy has dropped me, and I'll make a judgement call, and it's not many, I promise, and they'll make a judgment call about whether they're going to do it. No, no it's, it's built off a relationship of trust. It's built off that experience, that walking through that journey, n- jumping off numerous things and knowing that I'm there to catch them. And our understanding is that that is what a relationship with God must look. Inevitably, right? If God is personal, if God is real, if God is desiring relationship in the way that the Bible instructs us, is it has to work that way. We've got no other paradigm for understanding relationship. That it's a journey walked in in trust, in, in ever hopefully ever increasing steps of faith. There's this incredible passage in um, in the Old Testament, in the in the small book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk 3:17 to 18. It says, though the, fig, uh, "Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails." And the fields produce no food. There are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Saviour. And, church, the, the, the truth is those are difficult words to utter. And, and I think without that relationship, without that faith, without that trust in God, those, those words appear ridiculous. And so Paul says, while we may feel hard-pressed, we may feel perplexed, we may feel persecuted and struck down, he says, by the grace of God, we go through challenges but are not crushed, but do not despair, but are not abandoned and are not destroyed. That the gospel, that the the promise and the treasure of God is that through the humility and the service of Jesus, God's power is extended to the world. There's an amazing, Paul illustrates this in, a, in, a, in an incredible way and far more eloquently or succinctly than I could ever wish to put it. But in Philippians 2, and I'm going to read an extended chunk of it because he really just goes, goes for it here, just just set, lays it all out. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if you have any comfort from his love in any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he says, then make my joy complete. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. The, po- the point that he's making here is, he says, if you've received anything good from God, allow this thought to focus you. This kind of, this attitude towards the people, around. Us, is it basically what he's getting to here is, is, if you've received goodness from God, if you're a follower of Jesus and have been impacted by this, then have this mind among you. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, Consider others better than yourself. He says, not look into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And he makes it really interesting here. He doesn't just say, just just do it because it's good. And it is good, it's a great way to live life. To look to the interests of others. But ultimately, that is going to be crushing and oppressive unless you have a greater motivation driving you toward it. We can all agree it would be wonderful if the world just looked to the needs of others before their own. But how do we sustain something like that? He says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. who, Being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has exalted him to the highest place, given him the name that is above every name and the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth that every tongue shall acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul doesn't say, do this because it's good for you. He doesn't say, do this because I tell you to. He doesn't say, do this because this is what God wants of you. All of these completely valid uh, kind of moral instructions to live this way. But he says, do this because this is how you have been treated by God in Christ. Jesus, being fully God, lays aside his rights and positions so he could take on the position of a servant. Not fighting for his rights and, and the acknowledgement that he deserves, but serving others. He says, this is how God has treated You. The verse before what we were looking at, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, may light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. God has put his hope, his promises, and his spirit in our hearts. so much for listening if you want to find out more about us please visit our website capcitycardiff.org.uk.